Well, I'll tell you what, we're living in troubled times, and I'm not a big end time preacher. I'm not a prophecy uh, preacher or a, an expert on eschatology necessarily. I do study that. I do understand that. I do believe that we need to teach on that as being the whole counsel of God. Today, we're going to talk about uh, Noah and the days of Noah. You know, this month, our Supreme Court justices will decide as to whether we will define marriage as being between one man and one woman, or if it will be opened up to all kinds of uh, Pandora's box of combinations and relationships that God never intended uh, to exist under the name of marriage, never intended, period. And so I'm going to just title it today, Being Warned of God. And so let's bow our heads, let's pray, let's go before the Lord as we get into the Word of God this morning. Father, we thank you. Lord, we come today and we just ask that you would be with us. Father, give me clarity of mind, articulation of speech, and boldness of spirit to speak. Father, as an oracle on your behalf, with your word and not mine. And Father, I pray that each one here today would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of the word, not just hearers only deceive themselves, but bless doers and those who understand and have a renewed mind so they might know what the will of God is for their life. And Father, that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with us, to open our ears, Father, to give clarity in every way, and we give you all the praise for it, and we ask it in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Well, you know, today I, I, I think and I reflect about what's going on in our nation. I think about uh, the judges, and really we're looking to them uh, to decide how to define marriage. And as one person put it, if, we don't, if the preachers don't start telling uh, the governing officials the biblical way to govern, uh, they'll be telling us the unbiblical way how to do church. And the pastors need to be talking to the politicians about the reality of God's word. Otherwise, the politicians will be telling and dictating to the preachers how they're going to do church. And that has happened in many in most of the countries of the world, unfortunately. So we need to be a voice. And we as believers need to be salt and light. We need to understand uh, the times. You know, over there, I believe it's in Samuel where it talks about the sons of Issachar understood the times. Therefore, they knew what to do in those days in Israel. One translation, the voice translation, says they were politically savvy, therefore they understood what to do uh, in, in, that, in those days as far as Israel's needs. And so I really believe that we need to understand what's going on in our world today, marry that with what the Word of God says, look at the warnings and the relevancies of Scripture and how they apply to us today. And I want you to open your Bible to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verses 6 and 7. And of course, this is the famous Hall of Faith, this is the great chapter on faith that talks about faith all the way through. It mentions all the heroes of faith. It talks and it starts out by saying uh, what faith is. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. And then it says, and through faith, we understand how the world is framed. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was translated. By faith, it goes on and on, but... The key thing that I want to point out today is that there are different things that we do that are manifestations of faith. And look what it says, in, and we all know that without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, verse 7 is the more pertinent verse that I want to bring your attention to today. And it says, by faith... And I want to bring you four points, and you might even want to mark this in your Bible or put it in your notes if you're taking notes today. It says, by faith, and that's the first point, is this was something that Noah did by faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, Noah was a faith man. Noah was a faith man. 
He was the only righteous man in his generation, the Bible says, and that he found grace with God. Well, how do we find grace with God? You know, Romans 5.2 tells us that we enter into this grace by faith. Faith is the access, kind of like the access card like you do to get into a, a hotel room, that faith is the access to the grace wherein which we stand. And so it talks about, when we go back to Genesis 6, we'll look at that, how that Noah found grace with God. Well, that's because Noah accessed grace with God because he was a man of faith. And faith begins where the will of God is known and our obedience to follow that. So that's a good definition of faith. And so we look at that now. Noah talks about him by faith being warned. Everybody say being warned. That's point two. God warns his faith people. He does nothing but what he tells at first to his prophets, it says in the Old Testament. God will speak to you when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, especially because the Spirit will show you things to come. How many of you ever had the Holy Spirit show you things to come? Anybody ever have that happen? You know, there's something very powerful about how the Spirit of God can begin to lead and guide and direct and uh, steer you away from, from you know, difficulties and problems and calamities, but by faith, being warned of God. So here is the faith man, and he's receiving a warning from God. You know, God is warning us today. Did you know that, uh, you know, the blood moons and the shemitah that's in all the Christian uh, news and everybody's talking about the shemitah and the signs in the heavens and John Hagee's book on the blood moons and all these things, which I agree with that and I believe that. And there's many warnings today that people are saying, oh, yeah, you know, we, we know about the warnings. And that's good. But see, there's some more steps to this than just knowing about all the warnings. We're going to talk about that. So by faith, Noah, warned of God, of things not seen, moved with fear. Now, wait a minute. Fear? How does a faith guy get into fear? He was moved with fear. Now, he's in faith, but moved with fear. Oh, wait a minute. Stop, Pastor Bill. That doesn't make sense. You know, there is a type of fear that's not a negative fear. It's not a fear that God won't do what he says, but it's a fear that God one day is going to do what he says. And it's called the fear of the Lord, and it's called judgment. And Jesus said, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Can I get an amen? Boy, it got quiet all of a sudden. Those are those parts of the scripture that we kind of like, ooh, what does that mean? But you know, really, he was moved with fear. I fear for our nation right now. I fear that our judges, who have really no legal constitutional right to make this decision, they do not uh, grant us our rights. Our, our rights come from God, our Constitution says. And the right for us to define marriage. And what is the secularist government doing defining marriage instead of the church? I mean, even though there's something wrong in River City, there's trouble. And that we need to understand that when we have these things start to appear and start coming on the horizon and we start seeing these things happening, it's a warning. And we need to move with fear, not fear that God is a bad God and he's going to make me sick or not have enough you know, provision in my life. And, oh, I fear that. And I'm full of fear for this and that. And, you know, I, I'm not afraid because I'm protected. But you know what I fear for? I fear for the wicked world that's going to perish. I fear for lost souls that we haven't won to the Lord yet. I fear for those who are not prepared for the days to come. I believe Noah had that kind of a fear of the Lord that God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. And that's a very fearful thing. 
He's going to give us all a chance for salvation. He's going to extend great love and mercy and kindness to us. But then one day, those who won't receive that, he's going to have to judge them. That's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a wrathful God, it says in Hebrews 10 and verse 30. So he moved with fear, knowing that it was a fearful thing that was going to come upon the land at that time. And he prepared an ark. And this is the part where we really fall down on a lot of times. Yes, you know, we can look at this and we can see that we, we are people of faith. And I could give you four questions today. And I could give you a litmus test. Are you a faith person? And then I could ask you, are you like Noah? Are you like one of the great heroes of faith that are listed here in Hebrews, the 11th chapter? Are you a faith person? You know, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And they'll not draw back because his soul has no pleasure in those who draw back. I would say most people would say, I'm a faith person, Pastor Bill. I believe, and I believe you, and I know that's true. Then do I, I would say, do you sense warnings today? In Matthew 24, 27, it says there'll be stars in the sky. I mean, there'll be stars fall out of the sky. The moon will turn black and the sun will no longer give its light. And there'll be great signs in the heavens. How many of you know that we know that to be true and that is happening? That we've been having a, a, a season of blood moons and all these different things that many ministers are, are talking about and writing books about. And even the secular world is looking at it. And, and even the scientific world is looking at it. And we're all kind of, you know, they're scratching their head. And we're all kind of sitting there with bated breath wondering what is, what is all going to happen and in September, we're supposed to see all these things. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, we, we go running around, you know, uh, fearful or, or anything like that. But you know what? We're supposed to pay attention to the warnings. Can I get an amen? amen? So I would say most people here would say, yes, I'm a faith person, Pastor Bill. And yes, Pastor Bill, I sense there's some warnings. You know, I can look at Matthew 24 and I can see that the day will come when there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be many false Christs. And there'll be many whose love will grow cold. And there'll be many that'll be offended. And they that endure the end will be saved. And, and I can look and I can see many, many places and where we're warned. And it talks about perilous times will come. And men will be lovers of themselves. And they'll be covetous, boastful, proud, and, and high-minded. And, and all these things. Incontinent, covetous, and all these things. And, and we can see that. And we can see it another place in Timothy where it talks about that in the last days, the Spirit speaks expressly. In the latter times, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. 86% of young evangelicals that leave home, go to college, and come back apostated and no longer believing in the faith. Yes, there's a great departing from the faith today. Those are many signs. We need to understand that these warnings are real. They're here. Uh, we need to awaken to these facts. And, and most of you would say, I know that, Pastor Bill. I understand that. I see that happening. And so... We can say, you know, we're moved with that fear. That fear is moving, fear for lost people, not making it into the ark, so to speak. Fear that what's the next generation going to be? We're $18 trillion in debt. China is building islands and expanding into the sea and declaring its sovereignty over the seas that the United States used to claim. We're seeing many troubling things. Iran is building a bomb and say, we hate America is the great Satan. Israel is a Satan. And we want to destroy and blow America and Israel off the face of the map. We should be moved with fear. Because the Bible talks about a time of tribulation. The Bible talks about uh, you know, the rapture, whether you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, a-trib. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, there's a lot of people having some tribulation with 200 heads of Syrian Christians being cut off. And all you got to do is turn on the news and you say, is this 
the tribulation report at Fox News or is because I don't hear a whole lot of good news. But we've got good news. Can I get an amen? We've got the good news. We're the light on the hill. We're the ones that are the salt. We can preserve where no one else can preserve. But we have that good news. But there is a fear that moves me. Not a fear, like not a bad pervert kind of fear, but a fear for the next generation, a fear for our country, a fear for those who are lost, a fear for people like in Syria and the Christians. They're having their heads cut. And, 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 and we should be moved. And then lastly, we should do some preparation. We should, do, we should pre, be preparing and we should be doing and building and preaching and doing some things. Let me just read quickly. And let's, let's go back to a few of the warnings back there in Matthew. And, of course, the whole 24th chapter of Matthew is just cram-packed full of warning. It's warning, 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 warning. And, of course, the question is asked twice. What will it be like when the Son of Man returns? Or what will it like when the end of time comes? And in Matthew 24 and 3 it says, And... As he sat upon the mount of all of the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he answered, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name. I am Christ and shall deceive many. In other words, many will be deceived. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. And then he goes on, he says in seven, And nations shall rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Then it talks about there'll be famines and pestilence and earthquake and diverse places. And these are the beginning of sorrows. And it talks about that there will be those uh, who you'll be hated for my name's sake. Verse 10, and then shall many be offended. You notice how people are easily offended today? Political correctness just makes everybody kind of with a chip on their shoulder. Well, you can't say that. It's just a strange time. Am I the only one that thinks it's a kind of a strange time that we're living in right now? Anybody else kind of notice that? It's kind of a strange time. Many will be offended and false prophets, and he goes on and on, and then we go on and we go into other places and talks about in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars will fall and from the heavens and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And it talks about these things. Then it goes, likewise, you know, it talks about you can know the season, but no man can know the day or the hour, it talks about. And he says all these things. And then, but then he comes and he begins to culminate those thoughts. And kind of at the culmination of all these warnings. And I'm thinking, Jesus is thinking, that's a lot of things to think about that are going to happen. But he says, let me kind of capsulize it like this. Let me give you a parallel. Let me give you another time in history that it's like. And, of course, back then, the Jewish sages, you know, they, they chronicled history. And, and the Midrash was a, was, a, was a commentary that's alluded to several times in the scriptures. And in the Midrash, they, they wrote things about history. And, and that's a, biblical, a non-biblical source, but is endorsed by the Bible and, and different places in Chronicles where it alludes to the to the book of Midrash, and that's just the commentaries by the ancient Jewish sages who knew the word of God very well and knew the culture. They were the wise men of the time. They were the theologians of their day, and they were the interpreters and expositors of the scriptures, very bright and, and brilliant men. And, but he gets down there, and, he, and the final thing that he talks about is the days of Noah. Now, our subject today is about Noah. And those four points. 
And he says, there's all kinds of warnings. There's all kinds of signs. There's all these things in the heavens. There's all these things in the culture. There's all these things in the church, false deceivers. There's all kinds of things going on. But if you really want to find out, Jesus simplifies his eschatology and his end time view very much down into a concise parallel time. And that was the days of Noah. So if we look at the days of Noah, we really have distilled it down to a very refined understanding of what it will really be like. Because really all of these things to some form or fashion were probably happening in the days of Noah from what we can tell and from what my studies tell me. But as it was in the days of Noah, and it, and it says this, but what will the, and, and they asked the question, and uh, that what will it be like? And Jesus says, but of the day and the hour, in verse 36, no man knoweth, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father in heaven. But as the days of Noah were, so shall it also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as, it, as in the days of Noah that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came. They knew not. See, here's a, here's a key point. And took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding in the mill, and one shall be taken and the other left. Watch ye therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. But the warning, the, the real warning sign is he says, it'll be as it was in the days of Noah. They're eating and drinking. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know quite what's wrong with eating and drinking. I, do any of you know, that, is there anything wrong with eating and drinking? But see, it isn't talking just about regular eating and drinking. It's, it's, it's alluding to a lifestyle of indulgence. And it's alluding to a lifestyle that's very, very far gone in giving, marrying and giving in marriage. Well, I don't know about you, but you know, I, I don't know if there's anything wrong with marriage. I thought God ordained marriage. Well, let me show you some things that a scholar, a Hebrew scholar... Uh, wrote concerning these times. And it's, it's a very, very frightening and a very interesting thing. And, and I'm going to, as soon as I can find it in my Bible, here it is, that was written by a Jewish Hope of Israel Ministries, Ecclesia of Jehovah. And it says those times in the book of Genesis, we read what the world was really like in the days of Noah which caused Jehovah, God, to lament the fact that he had even created mankind. And God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination, everybody say every imagination. See, the King James says they thought only on evil continually. So if you think only on evil continually, that affects the way that you view food. That's the way, it affects the way that you view drinking. It affects the way that you view marriage and giving in marriage. It affects everything. Every thought and imagination was only on evil continually and repented the Lord that he had made man. Genesis 6, 5, and 6. The Hebrew word for great here is rab, and it means abundant in every way, size, shape, quantity, multitude, bounding, exceeding, vast, large, powerful. Thus, evil dominated the earth at that time. It sat in high offices of government, authorities, and powers that existed where wicked and shameful uh, ways that they possessed through and through. And it goes on, and we can see that everything had become completely corrupt. And it says, in another one, it says, and their thoughts 
were exclusively evil and wicked, continually, or as the Hebrew implies, every day. And in verse 9 we read, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Again, the word for corrupt here is shatach, and it means to decay, ruin, cast off, destroy, mar, spill, spoil. In the Jesenius Hebrew Chaldee lexicon says this word, to destroy, to ruin, either by laying waste as a country, region, or field, or by pulling down as walls, city, or by wounding, or by killing both individuals and whole peoples. In other words, there was violence, there was hatred, everything that had become wicked. And it says in another one, in the word violence in this verse is shamak. In the Hebrew, it means violence, wrong, unjust, gain, cruelty, damage, false injustice, oppression, everything that could be wrong. But here's the interesting thing. And this writer says this, in the new issue of Inside Israel newsletter, the rabbi Shaim Dov Keller is reported in writing the Jewish, in the Jewish Observer, the Midrash tells us that the generation of the flood was wiped out only because they wrote marriage contracts between males, just as they did for conventional couples. And if you read and you keep reading this, you find out that that term, marriage and giving in marriage, instead of just saying marriage, marriage was conventional marriage, and the Hebrew writers of the Midrash, and the Midrash is a commentary by the ancient Hebrew sages that is alluded to numerous times in Scripture in Second Chronicles. You can find out that they would say, and this is also written in the book of wisdom, or this is written in the book, and they called it several different things, but it's always a, if you study it out, you find out it calls it the commentary, and then you look up what the Midrash is, and it's the commentary by the sages of the exegesis of Scripture, and they were the ones that wrote about the times so that you understood what the Scriptures meant. And they said that in the days of Noah, and I also know that a professor from Princeton had degrees from Princeton and Yale and MIT, also did research, and he was an archaeologist, found out that they found an ancient cuneiform, an ancient uh, writings about the days of Noah, that they did indeed and were the only culture ever to grant marriage covenants or contracts between two men. And the Bible says it will be as it was in the days of Noah. And this month of June, we will decide in America whether we're going to be like Ireland and many other countries and decide that we will grant marriage to be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And let me tell you something. That should be a warning. Can I get an amen, somebody? That should be a warning about what day we're in, what time we are in the eternal clock, and where we are in relationship to the warnings of God. I'm going to read, read what this says, and, and it goes on. It says, and we can better understand the culture ex- expression only because, as meaning the singular primary reason, importance, as the cause why God brought the flood upon the world in the time of antiquity. In other words, it wasn't for the violence. It wasn't for the evil. It wasn't for the evil thinking. It wasn't for all these things. And these Hebrew scholars says that the reason and the only reason why God destroyed the world in the days of Noah was because of the marriage issue. That's very frightening. See, this writer says, for many years I have realized that Mr. GTA's explanation of Matthew 24, 38 didn't hold water. There's nothing wrong with marrying, giving in marriage in itself, unless wrong things and wrong people were being married to one another. And Rabbi Keller provided the information from the Jewish Midrash, the commentary, to help us better comprehend Jesus' intended meaning of that message of marrying and giving in marriage. Giving in marriage 
was directly alluding to this practice of same-sex marriage. How many of you know there's nothing new under the sun? Absolutely nothing. In Ecclesiastes 3 and 15, it says that which has happened before will happen again. That which has happened will also uh, have happened before. So, even as in Sodom and Gomorrah, and let me give you a scriptural uh, example of that. Turn in your Bibles to Jude. Quickly turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. And I'm going to point out something that's very interesting, now knowing that, that makes a particular scripture make a lot more sense. And in Jude, and of course there's only one chapter in Jude. And so, go ahead and uh, we'll go there to verse 6. And it says, And the angels which kept not their first estate... Now, you've got to remember in Genesis 6, it says there were angels that came down and co-mingled with the women and produced the giants. How many of you know the Nephilim, many scholars believe the Nephilim or the giants were a result of a co-mingling of human women and fallen angels. In other words, there was great sexual perversion in the days of Noah, Genesis 6, 1 and 2. And we know that this is alluding to that the angels that did not keep their first estate. In other words, they were cast out of heaven and they left just the exclusively realm of the angelic spiritual disembodied spirits and they intruded into and encroached upon the realm of human beings and produced giants as their commingling, as the result of their commingling. But anyway, let's go to verse 6. We're in Jude 1 and 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation... He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner. Key point. Everybody say in like manner. Like what manner? So Sodom and Gomorrah in like manner. Or like the manner of something else. Well, it just gave us the days of Noah, where the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it talks about when the angels left their first estate. Well, we know that's in Genesis 6.1. And then it says, and then Sodom and Gomorrah in like manner. So there was something in Sodom and Gomorrah that was like the days of Noah when the angels left their first estate. Well, now we know what that is. It was a gay activity, homosexuality. And that, what we call the gay lifestyle. Well, really, it's a death style. I've, I've written a, a, a paper on that. In every area of life, there is unhappiness. You look at the statistics in the gay lifestyle, hundreds of partners, high, high, far higher levels of suicide, mental illness, domestic violence, Physical sickness and disease, shortened lives. If they're, if they're so fulfilled, why do they have to have hundreds of partners? There's no fulfillment. It's a dark and evil, wicked sin. That The Bible says if a man lies with a man and a woman lies with womankind, in the book of Leviticus, it says they shall be put to death. Now, there is a divine death sentence on that type of lifestyle. Now, that may not, you know... Uh, the sheriff may not be able to enforce that death sentence, but the wickedness and the inherent death in that lifestyle brings its own death sentence on itself. 
And we've got to understand that is the power of the law that convicts us of sin, reveals sin, and punishes sin. The law does those things. And the law says that a person who does this is worthy of death because it is a self-perpetuating, self-bringing upon oneself form of death. And that's why the Bible says that. So we understand we need to stay away from that. It's very dangerous stuff. And we see that in that day that it says even in like manner, Sodom and Gomorrah had a like manner or a thing that was like what was going on there. And we know that to be the the wicked sin of Sodom and sodomy. Giving themselves over to fornication. And fornication is a very broad word that includes a lot of things. Gives himself over to fornication, going after strange flesh, which is a direct alluding to homosexuality and bestiality. Strange flesh, and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, I'm going to show you something that's very interesting in the bigger overall scheme of existence with God. God created, and you know, how many of you know marriage is very dear to God's heart? You know, it talks about that Israel was God's spouse. We, the Christian, the body of Christ, are the spouse or the bride of Christ. You all understand that, right? And we know that when God created, and I like to believe like this. I, you know, uh, we went to the Vanderbilt mansion in North Carolina, and Cornelius Vanderbilt took five years to build the biggest mansion in the whole United States. It's the most wonderful place you've ever seen. It's got 23 bedrooms, 23,000 books in, in its library. It's got like, no, 50-some bedrooms and 20-some bathrooms. It, it's got these huge libraries and beautiful Elkheads. And, I mean, it, it's, the lar- it's today still is the largest personal residence And Cornelius built this for his wife, his bride. How many of you know Jesus has gone away and he's preparing a place for us? God is like this. And let let me get this across to you. God is like this. He goes and he prepares. Everybody say prepares. He prepares a place for us. And then there's going to be a wedding supper of the Lamb. Can I get an amen? And this heaven and earth is going to pass away, and there's going to be a new heaven and earth, and then there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Amen? See, I believe that was the same way in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God prepared a place for Adam and Eve, the marriage couple. And that place was magnificent. The Garden of Eden had the gold and the jewels and and all the debellium and all the precious uh, wonderful stones, and he showed them where the water was. He showed them where the precious jewels and the gold, and he showed them all the beautiful trees and all the beautiful plants and all the beautiful foods that they could eat, and all the beautiful animals had him, you know, Adam name all these animals and prepared this paradise unlike anything. And he prepared a perfect man, and he prepared a perfect woman, and he prepared a perfect relationship with a perfect God in a perfect existence. Can I get an amen? That sounds pretty good to me. So we've got this incredible preparation and this incredible creation and this creation of the stars of the sky and the blue seas and the wonderful mountains and the trees and the animals and the lakes and the beauty and everything. This creation. And then, and that's Genesis 1, and then we go to Genesis 2, and he's created his wonderful creation and man is part of that creation and woman is part of that creation. Eve was taken as rib. And then he has a marriage. He went and he prepared a place for the marriage couple. And he put Adam and Eve in that paradise. And creation comes before the marriage. Because God's all about marriage. And God says he's married to us. And God's preparing a place for us. And God's going to have a 
marriage supper of the Lamb for us. And God's going to have a new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to have a whole new creation. But you start this scale, and you've got creation, and you've got marriage. And then things go over time, and things begin to go bad, and man sins, and things become wicked. And then what you have is the destruction of marriage in the days of Noah, and then the destruction of creation. So you have an exact antithesis. You have the exact diametrically opposed mirror image backwards at the end of the scale as you have at the beginning of the scale. So you have at the beginning of the scale creation and marriage, and then the destruction of marriage and the destruction of creation. Can I get an amen? Do you all see that this morning? And you see, there's a warning that that can, is all contingent upon marriage. Because it was when, and the Hebrew scholars say it, the sages, the wise writers of the Midrash, the commenters of the scriptures of the Old Testament who were closest to it, who lived in the Old Testament days, who saw the scriptures being written and commented upon them, said that that reason why God destroyed the world was because of the violation of his most precious first thing the Bible talks about when it comes to human beings. Now, he talked about creation, but the first thing when it talks about human beings, the first thing that happens with human beings is a marriage. And the last thing that's going to happen with human beings and their God is there's going to be a marriage, supper of the Lamb. Can I get an amen? The Bible starts with a marriage when it comes to human beings, and it ends with a marriage when it talks about human beings. And marriage is the foundation of all things in this life, and it's the first thing that's talked about, and it's the first thing the devil attacked. And the Bible says that, you know, we'll have this marriage, but when marriage gets violated, when marriage gets ruined, There's not a whole lot of reason to keep on going because God started this thing and he said he put a man and a woman and he blessed them and he says multiply and replenish and take dominion. Subdue and take dominion. He gives them four things to do. And when marriage is ruined, then you can't have the complementary side of God that's a female and the complementary side of God that's a male. He created men in his own image, created he them male and female. The image of God is male and female joined together as one. That is the image of God. And when the image of God is defiled, then the four great commissions of marriage is defiled. To go and, you know, he says, and he blessed them and he said, multiply and replenish and subdue and take dominion. The four components of the great commission of marriage are then destroyed when marriage is destroyed and there is no longer any reason to keep the thing going. Can I get an amen? So this is why it's so important that we pray for these judges. And I feel like we're being warned today because it's like the days of Noah. And I believe that we are the Noahs, the people of faith. Yeah. I believe that we are those people of faith that are being warned by God. I believe that we're the people of faith, and hopefully I'm moving you a little bit to godly fear this morning that are being moved in your heart and moved in your actions with fear because most of the time people are moved, maybe moved fear, but then that we go to the next step and we prepare. See, no prepared an ark because he knew it's coming because the world was ruined. Marriage is ruined. There's no more going on. It's time for judgment. But we can prepare. Because there's a season in that preparation. There was a hundred years there in that preparation time. And a lot of things happened then. And we need to be like that. And we need to be preparing. Can I, can I get an amen this morning? 
And we need to understand that we can do three things. I'm going to give you three ways to prepare today. Three areas of your life that we need to be like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm the, I'm like the faith man. I'm like the guy that's in the hall of faith. I'm a faith person. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, yeah, I feel the warning. Yeah, pastor, I feel, I feel moved to fear for the people that are in this world, for the next generation, for the economic status, for the spiritual status, for the condition of marriage. I fear for the definition of marriage to be changed. Yeah, I fear those things, pastor. But the last part is he prepared. He did something about it. Faith without corresponding action is dead. See, this is the final part that many Christians don't attend to. This is the final part that makes the others, renders them useless and meaningless unless we prepare and do something about it. You see, I'm going to give you three things to prepare. And number one, build the way of escape or the ark, which is the local church. We can do, number one, we can be ark builders. You know, the ark was the way of escape. Everybody say the way of escape. We can be way of escape builders. And the local church is what Jesus is building today. He says, I will build my church just like Noah built his ark. You know, the ark was just a floating house that housed everybody until the time of trouble was over. And Jesus says, I will build my church. Well, the church is a house that houses people until the troubled times are over and we're in heaven. Can I get an amen? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail yet. You know, what are you building today? Are you building your career? Are you building your ego? Are you building, you know, is it all about me? Is it all about what I do, what I have, uh, what people think? It, are we building a selfless servanthood for the kingdom of God? That's where we need to be. And we need to be building that way of escape. You know, I liken the ark very much as the local church. Because number one, Noah was a preacher. Second Peter 2, 5, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. How many of you know Noah was a preacher? How many of you know in every church there's supposed to be a preacher? Amen. How many of you know it was Noah's family that got saved and helped him build the ark? In Genesis 16, it talks about the covenant was with him and with his two sons and with the two wives and with his wife. In other words, it was the place where there was family. And it, how many of you know that the sons and the daughters of were the ones that helped him build the ark? Everybody say, they helped build the ark. The family helps build the ark. The family of God helps build the house, which is the way of escape for the world to go to. So we got a strong picture, and the ark is the church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Noah said, I will build my ark. And the gates of hell won't prevail. The waters will not prevail. The hecklers will not prevail. The judgment will not prevail. In other words, there's something very much like that. You know, the rapture is even demonstrated in the ark, where all of God's people get inside the place of safety of the local church who are truly saved, not those who think they are and really aren't on the day of the door shuts, and are taken up from the earth in the time of trouble. How many of you know the ark left the earth and went up? And then after that tribulation, after that terrible time, they came down and started a new covenant with God. And the first thing he says is now replenish the earth. And you know, how many of you know in the millennial reign, we'll have a brand new world and a brand new start? There's something very picturesque. There's something very parallel. There's something very symbolic 
about the ark and the rapture of the church. There's something very symbolic, something very parallel and very picturesque about the ark being the local church. We need to build the local church. And in Acts, the sixth chapter, it talks about the ministry of helps. It talks about that there are elders and there's deacons, there's people. It's just like the three triunity of God. How many know there's a father and there's a son and then there's a Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost has maternal attributes according to uh, the book of John where it says the Holy Spirit is the helper or the paraclete. And it's almost like the helpmate. It's almost like there's a God the Father and there's a God that, that really reveals to us some maternal traits. The God, you know, El Shaddai, great-breasted one. And, and God has those maternal traits. It's just like because if Adam was the image and you took a rib out and created a woman and brought it back, there is a maternal trait in that rib. There's something about God that he is a father and he is almost like a mother and then he has children. And the church, you know, we've got elders and we've got deacons and we've got the people. And the family, you've got the father, you've got the mother, you've got the children. The church, you've got the elder, you've got the deacon who helps the elders. And then you've got the congregation that they're developing. There's something very powerful about the local church. And we can see that the pastors in the early church attended to the prayer. And they attended to the preaching. And the people found their place in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It lists all these wonderful gifts. Gifts of tongues, gifts of healing, gifts of the prophet and evangelist and pastor and teacher and apostle and all these things. And then it lists governments, but then it lists the ministry of helps, those who render assistance. You know how you can prepare today for what's coming? Help make sure the church is strong and being built. Let's make sure that we're building a strong ark. Let's make sure that we've got a great nursery. Let's make sure we've got a great praise and worship team. Let's make sure we've got a great children's mer- uh, excuse me, church and outreach Let's make sure that when people come, that they can be blessed by the word of God. Let's make sure that we build a strong church. Number two, evangelism. Let's prepare for evangelism. First, we've got to build the ark, but then we've got to gather them in. Can I get an amen? In 2 Peter 2, 5, it says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah is the most literal picture that I can think of in all the Bible of Ezekiel 3. Turn with me quickly to Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel 3 is a very sober, very, very sober portion of Scripture that I believe applies even today. Ezekiel 3. I'll begin reading there in verses 18 and 19. And this is a principle because I see it also in the New Testament, which I'll show you in just a moment. Ezekiel Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Let me begin reading there. And it says, And when, then, when I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest them not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from the wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. God is saying, if there's wicked people out there, and I'm sure that Noah was under this mandate, Because why would Noah be preaching for a hundred years while he's building that ark? And he never had one convert. We have no record of a convert. But you know, we are to preach to people even though they never, if they never get saved. How many of you know that? Because there's a reason. The first reason is we preach them. Number one, obviously, because we want them to be saved. I mean, duh, that's easy. We understand that, Pastor Bill. But there's another reason why we preach the gospel to every creature and go into all the world and preach. There's a second reason for that. And this reason is rarely emphasized and is troubling. Look what it says. And it says, 
I'm going to read again. When I say unto you, the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from the wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thy hand. That's a dilemma. I don't know about you, but I don't want... You know, I think Noah knew that. I think all these people are wicked. They're all going to hell, and God's going to require their blood of mine if I don't preach to them. I don't think any of them are going to get saved, but I'm going to preach to them anyway. Because there's a reason. And praise God, when you preach to them, some of them do get saved. Can I get an amen? A lot of them do get saved when we preach to them. But some of them don't. Don't ever let that be a deterrent as to why you do or don't preach the gospel to somebody. Let's go on to the next verse. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, you wasted your time and you're a knucklehead. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But, how many of you like, uh, you know that word but in the Bible? B-U-T, remember that. And... But thou hast delivered thy soul. See, for no other reason, we preach the gospel to deliver our soul from the blood of God. Did you know that Paul said in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 20 that he preached from house to house? He preached in the synagogues. He preached in the public place. He says, and I've preached unto you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, I am delivered from the blood of all men. That's New Testament. You see, we are still under that mandate. We are still living in that principle today. And we are still called to preach to every creature and to go into all the world. Can I get an amen? We are called to do that and warn the wicked in the days of Noah. And we are, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, we are living in the days of Noah. It will be as it was in the days of Noah. I believe that. Now, that, does that mean the Lord's coming back this year or next year? Well, no man knows the day or hour, but the Bible says most definitely we can know the season. I believe we're in that season. I believe that we need to pay attention. I believe that we need to be like Noah, be preachers of righteousness. And that we need to be preparers of the house and preachers of the message. And be free from the blood of all men. And we need to be bringing them in. See, people will make excuses. How many of you know they're eating and they're drinking and they're giving in marriage and they're marriage. And they're too busy lobbying down at the Capitol for gay marriage. What? I go, when I go and lobby at the Capitol, I go down there with Greg Baker. He's, he's part of the family leader. And I go with Danny Carroll and Greg Baker and Tamara Scott. And we go and we lobby and we talk to the senators and we talk to the uh, House members. And, and we tell them, you know, you, we don't like this, this bill, this bullying bill. Or we don't like this, you know, LBGT uh, thing that they had down in Des, in Des Moines uh, conference. And, and, we don't, and we need to do some things. And we... we and we're, you know, the human trafficking thing, you know, we're down there putting pressure on. And I don't do it very much, but I've been down there a few times, and I've done it a few times. But those guys are down there all the time doing that. People are eating and drinking. They're doing this and that. They don't have time. They don't want to hear the message. They don't like it. They don't want to hear it. You know, the Bible also says in Luke 14 that we're to bring them in and go into the highways and the hedges and bring them into the Father's house. That his house may be filled. How many of you know Luke 14, 16 through 24 talks about us? Just like they were to bring in the, the animals into the ark. And I believe the preaching was to bring people into the ark. How many of you believe that? Why would they be preaching if they weren't trying to get people into the ark? 
of safety. I believe that we need to be preaching, and we need to be bringing people into the ark. And the ark is the local church because it says in Luke that the Father is going to hold a great supper. I believe it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he is bidding them to go into all the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that the house, or you could say even the ark, would be full. But the people are making excuses. Well, I've got to go buy some land. That's possessions. Another one says, well, I've got to go get an ox. That's your, your vocation, you know, an ox. In the agricultural society, is like buying a tractor. Like, I've got to tend to my farm, and I, can't, I don't have time for this. Or I've got to tend to my business. I've got to attend to this, or I've got to tend to my practice. I've got to tend to this. I don't have time for all this. And it says they were making excuses. And then the other one was, says, we've got to go to a marriage. And people will make excuses to not gather in. In Luke, it says that. And that parallels that people made excuses in that day to not gather in. But see, we need to be evangelizing. We need to be speaking to people about their souls. Can I get an amen? They're too consumed with their own lives. They're too consumed with other things. And it says that the word is choked out when the deceitfulness of riches... And the concern for other things enter in. It chokes out the word. We need to be preparing. We need to be preparing a local church for people to come into. We need to be preparing a platform for evangelism and preaching to the lost. Whether they come in or not, it's our responsibility to make it known as salt and light. You know, even our preaching, if we're not effective, we'll be trampled on feet. It says if the salt loses its savor, you and I are the salt, and the savor is preserving people, keeping them from going to hell by getting them born again. If we lose our salt, that same people that we were supposed to preach to and get saved will get jaded and darker and more wicked, and they will trample us under feet someday. We watched Fox News the other night where Dennis Miller, old Bill O'Reilly says to Dennis Miller, he says, what do you see for the Christian world coming up? He says, you know what? I'm thinking about investing in some catacomb real estate. Hint, it's going to be like the Roman Empire. Christians are going to flee. He says, Christians are going to get laid low. He says, they're going to be flattened. He says, Christians, I wouldn't be saying much. He says, I'd be hiding. I'd be kind of become invisible. He says, because I believe the day's coming. He says, because after all, we don't need God anymore in America. We've got the federal government. It's God now that we worship and look to for every provision in life. Here's a rank, heathen, comedian on secular news channel, Fox News, espousing more truth and reality than a lot of pulpits are in America. I'm thinking, whoa, what is going on here? This is like, this guy gets it more than a lot of Christians. That the federal government is my Jehovah, you know, handout, my Jehovah Medicare, or Obamacare, my, and, and Jehovah uh, this and that and everything else you need. Look to the federal government and don't have any self, you know, individual responsibility or individualism to do it yourself. See, we're living in a very bizarre time. Lastly, and we're just about done. And the third one is the physical preparedness to escape the judgment of an evil world. So we, we prepare the church. We prepare. You know, we need to have a good church. We need to have good faithful people. We need to have good programs. We need to have good uh, music. We need to have good preaching. We need to have good children's church. We need to have good nursery. We need to have good ushers. We need to have 
a great church to people come into and disciple them and take care of them and love them and take them in as family. I don't care who you are. I don't care what, uh, you know, socioeconomic or race or I don't care who you are. This should be a house of love and care for people. Amen. I don't care if you're timid. I don't care if you don't like witnessing. I don't care if you are, don't feel called to witness. <laughs> Where does that come from in the Bible? God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and of a sound mind. We live the gospel. We have conversations of the gospel. And we preach the gospel. We teach the gospel. We live it out and walk in love towards people and cause them to receive the gospel. And so there must be a willingness to tell people about Jesus. Thirdly, the physical preparedness of an evil world. You know, I believe this in Genesis six fourteen and 19. He prepared for things that had never before happened. Prepared for the never before flood. Let me say that again. Noah prepared for... They, how many of you know it had never rained until that time? The plant world was watered by this wonderful high oxygen bubble that they lived in before it broke at the flood. And this bubble held the oxygen in and there was a mist that rose every day and watered all the plants. And so rain? Have you ever heard of rain before? There's no flood. No, only 85% of the earth is covered with water. There's no evidence of a flood. But there was, the world wasn't covered with water like it is now. And the world broke open and the water came out and the heavens, the canopy around the earth broke open and the water fell down for 40 days. How many of you know they had never seen anything like that before? How many of you believe we might be seeing some things in America that we've never seen before? I've never seen it before where uh, murdering police officers has gone up 160% in the last year. Rioting in the streets. 50% of our people on some form of government handout. Violence such as never before. Who would have thought in the year 2015 that we'd have to be dealing with people getting their head cut off? That's medieval stuff. We don't have stuff like that anymore, do we? Who would have believed that the judges, instead of the we, the people, as in the, you know, legislature, is going to decide what marriage is instead of the preachers. Who, who would have believed that 20 years ago? I wouldn't have. Prepare for that which he had never seen before. There was nothing like a flood, and God says, prepare for it. We may need to prepare for some things like we've never seen before. Somebody say amen. How many, how many think that might be true? I think that might be true. We might need to prepare for some things like we've never seen before. The flood was catastrophic. The ark, an ark, there was no such thing as boats. There was no such thing as rain. There was no such thing as divided continents. The plate tectonics. If you look at all the, the continents, they were all one at one time. You didn't need a boat to go across the ocean. Build a boat? What's a boat? What's an ark? It's a great big house that floated. So 
things that have never happened, prepared for that. Number two, they prepared for the enduring during the bad time. And they prepared not only this great big, for this unbelievable time and this thing that happens, this catastrophic event of the, of the water. And they prepared this unbelievable huge building that floated. And then they prepared for the time during that where they knew it was going to be bad and they'd have to have a lot of food and shelter and water and protection and provision of all kind and even for a bunch of animals. Can I get an amen? And then they took it a step further and they prepared for when it was all over with and they had a bunch of animals that could go back out and repopulate the world and have a bunch of seed and go out and replant and sow and, and seed and, and have a new covenant with God and begin all over again. Now, I'm not saying we're going to have to have that type of preparation, but let that be some clues. That when we prepare, we might need to not only prepare uh, for the catastrophic, we might not only need to prepare uh, for the time during the catastrophic to take care of our immediate physical needs, but we might need to prepare that after the catastrophe is over and things are kind of bad and we need to rebuild. Now, I'm praying that none of that happens. I'm just praying that I'm going to be raptured right out of here. Praise God. How about you? But what if we're not? Well, I thought it was pre-trib, Pastor Bill. 2,000 Syrian Christians, ask them with their head chopped off if it was pre-trib or not. But I'm just saying, be about the Father's business. Build the church. Evangelize the lost. And be prepared. And don't, don't spend all your money. $18 trillion a day. You know what? We should all be saving our money anyway because to him who has more will be given. I found this. I found this to be absolutely true. The more money I have, the more money God gives it to me because my God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards you when you save money. He doesn't reward you when you blow money. So number one, get, get ready for whatever might come economically. Can I get an amen? Get ready economically. Get ready in, in whatever, uh, you know, uh, how many of you know that the, the weather has been awful strange these days? You know, there's more earthquakes than ever before. There's more tornadoes than ever before. There's more droughts than ever before. Oh, I forgot the Bible told us that was going to happen. How many of you know that's just responding and being a doer of the word when the word tells us that that's going to happen? We, and I'm not saying that you just go, you know, wild with it. But I'm just saying you might want to be prepared. Well, is that really biblical, Pastor Bill? I am so glad that you asked. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one says, Prepare the horse for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, I believe that those who prepare for battle just bring great safety to themselves from the Lord. Preparing the horse for the day of battle is the safety that comes from the Lord because God is a helper, not a doer. Can I get an amen? How many of the Holy Spirit is our helper, not our doer for us? He's our helper. Proverbs 27 says, The prudent foresees evil coming and hides himself, but the simple passes on and is punished. Let me say that again. How many of you consider yourself prudent? Foreseeth the evil, foreseeth, it's like prepareth, foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple just passes, walks right into it. He's punished. How many of you know the simple were all around eating and drinking and marrying Giving in marriage in the days of Noah. How many know they were happy? It was party time in the days of Noah. But the prudent saw it coming. The prudent prepared. It says, observe the ant. 
He provided the store of food a season in advance. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And that's from the NEB Bible, 26 translation. Observe the ant. He's wise, guys. He provides his food in summer for the storehouse in the fall. In other words, he is always a season ahead of what's going to happen. How many of you know you need to be a season ahead of what's going to happen? How many of you know Noah was a season ahead of the flood? He was in the preparation season before the flood season came. Be in the preparation season. Always observe the ant because he's a wise dude. He always has his provision a season in advance. He's very smart. Joseph, in Genesis 41, 32 through 36, stored up in the seven years of plenty. And everybody in Egypt, as he sat on the throne next to the king, the pharaoh, everybody in Egypt came to him broke and destitute and starving in the time of famine because Joseph stored up in the seven years of plenty and prepared for the seven years of famine and sat on the top of the world because of it. Somebody say amen. This is a a Joseph year is when we can sit on the top and have the world come to us because we've got our needs met. I don't know about you, but Christians should have their needs met. We should be letting our prophet appear to all men because godliness is profitable not only in the life that is, but in the life that is to come. And we should have the goods when everybody else is destitute. We should have the ark when everybody else is drowning. We should have the pile of grain in Egypt from the seven years of plenty when everybody else is completely starved. We should be the wise sons of Issachar that know the times and know how to plan for the people of God. And we need to have ourselves prepared in every area of life. Let's stand up and let's bow our heads this morning.